Welcome to the budget constraint and indifference curve segment of microeconomics. This is Dr. Terry Elin coming to you from home to wherever you are. Please sit back, relax, and enjoy the economic ride. So today's topic, budget constraints, is pretty straightforward, but the topic of indifference curves can be somewhat abstract. And just bear in mind that the class will not be getting more and more abstract as we go. As we move on to chapter seven through 11, we're gonna be talking about market structures and how businesses uh, interact and how they make their decisions, how their costs are structured and whatnot. And then we move to taxation and externalities. So here we're in the segment that uh, deals with consumers once again, but it can be a little bit more abstract. Let's start with the non-abstract component of it all, budget constraints. So the idea behind budget constraints in this whole chapter is to try to break things down in its most basic form. So in this principles of microeconomics class, everything we've done, we've tried to keep it simple and may not feel simple to you and may be complicated, but we're trying to keep it as easiest to understand as possible. And that's always been in graphical format. And the limitations that we have with a graphical format is that we're looking at the relationship between two different things. There's only two factors that can really change. So when we had the demand curve, we had a relationship between price and quantity that was plotted by the demand curve. And now we're looking at a situation where our world would consist of two goods. A lot of you may look at this and think, well, that's overly simplistic. Um, but in reality, it's not far from the truth on how we analyze things. So the way to see it, uh, before I jump into the graphs and the whole explanation of the different things, the way to see it is to think, well, I could be buying this specific good. So let's say a car, phone, clothing, food, whatever. And then the other good is the aggregation of all goods out there, which means that if you decide to buy more clothing, well, you have less money left for any of the other goods out there in the market. You can't buy more clothing and not sacrifice elsewhere if you have a limited budget. So it's that whole idea there. You would think, well, there's more goods than just two, yes, but just see it as one that you're looking at and then the aggregation of, of them all would give the same kind of intuition. So if you're asking yourself, like I'm finishing building my house, if I decide to spend more money on smart dimmers, well, that means that I have less money to put on my sound system, less money to put on my deck, my um, uh, shelving units, whatever. So it's pretty much that kind of trade-off that exists. So let's dive into the kind of like graphical analysis. So if you were to plot a graph, like just a normal graph with a vertical axis and a horizontal axis, here typically we wouldn't say one good like smart uh, dimmers and then all the other goods, we would just name two different goods. So it could be, let's say you get a gift certificate to go to the Lion Pub and the night that you go there, the only two things on the menu are beer and chicken wings. 
Well, in that situation, those are really your two only options. And that might be the case if you ever receive a gift certificate to a certain location. And it could be like a skydiving location where you could decide to either skydive um, or to take like a flight or whatever. You know, there the options are limited sometimes. But if they're not, just see it as an aggregation of all the other goods. So uh, it could just be beverages and kind of foods like uh, liquid form and hard form. So that's the situation that we have. So it will be one of the goods on the x-axis, the other good on the y-axis. Does it make a difference which one's which? No, that doesn't make a difference here. We're just kind of representing um, what is available to us. So what the budget constraint will represent is what are the possible purchasing options with our limited budget of both of the goods. And we want to look at all possible combinations. So if you take a second and you think about it, let's say I were to say, well, you have $20 gift certificate, a pound of wings is $10, a pint of beer is $5, let's say. What are your possible consumption bundles? And once again, similar to the demand curve, you could kind of just write out a bunch of combinations that you see fit, which could be like two pounds of wings, no beer, four beers, and no, uh, no wings, and then different combinations, like one pound of wings and two pints of beer. Uh, and you could just kind of state a bunch of them. And then you could try to plot all of those points on the graph and uh, link them up. And that would be your budget constraint. Well, in reality, since the prices don't change and your budget is fixed, you don't need to go out and really look at all the possible bundles that you have available to you. You really just need to find the two extreme points. And the two extreme points is you sacrificing all your money to spend on one of the two goods or you sacrificing all your money spending on the other good and then draw a straight line across between those two points. So in this example here, if you were to draw it out and you have wings and beer on uh, the two different axes, well, on the axis of uh, wings only, you would have two because it's $10 per pound and you have $20. And then that would be two wings, zero beer. So let's say I had wings on the vertical axis. Well, I'd be like on that vertical axis at two. And then for the amount of beer I can have without wings, well, then I'd be on the horizontal axis at four. If I link them up together, I could clearly see that that combination I said earlier of one pound of wings and two pints of beer is actually on that line. But that line kind of encompasses all the possibilities. If you were able to kind of say, well, I want one pound and one third of wings and I want, I don't know, like a 0.8, I don't know what the amount would be wings. So that's the kind of situation that we have that uh, we're looking at all possible combinations. In reality, that might not be the case. There might not all be available, but this is the situation that we would have. So that is building the consumption, uh, like uh, possibilities in a certain way, the, the budget constraint kind of example. And then we could, the, what typically happens in this chapter is you might have situations where the budget constraint moves. So two different options kind of exist, or three, 
it's either the price of one of the two goods changes and not the other one, or the price of the other good changes, but not the other one, or the income slash budget constraint changes. Okay. And the case or the price of both goods change. In the case that one of the two goods change and not the other one, let's say here the pints of beer were actually like $10 as well. Well, the combination and the possibilities that we could consume in terms of wings would not change. Uh, so that corner would still be there. It's just the other corner that would change. And then you'd have to draw a line from the old corner that still is valid to the new corner. And when it comes to budget changes, then you have to look at uh, finding the two new corners. So if you have a budget increase, uh, that means that you have more money available. So now in that example of $20, you now have 30 or $40, which means you could consume more of both goods. So as with the change in price of only one good, you would have one corner that's fixed and then a rotation to a new corner, either inwards or outwards. And when it comes to a budget increase, it's going to be a parallel shift out. And if it's a budget decrease, it's a parallel shift in. So both corners change and both budget constraint lines should be parallel to one another. And then the classic example to keep in mind is the idea that what would happen if the price of both goods increase versus a drop in the budget. And in reality, if it's the same kind of factor of change, it's going to be the same impact. And if we kind of move away from this abstract example to reality, well, what would this represent in reality? Well, in reality, if there is inflation in the economy, every single good that you're buying goes up by, let's say, 5%, 10%. Well, it's the equivalent to you having a drop in your purchasing power in terms of your budget and having all the prices stay fixed. Either one has the same impact. The amount of oranges that you can buy with $100 is less. So it's either you the oranges went up from, let's say, $1 to $2, you can't buy as many. Or if your income or your budget went down from 100 to 50 and it stayed at $1, it's the same impact that happens. Let's say it's the same that happens for all goods out there. So it's just something good to keep in mind that general inflation has the same impact as a drop in your budget. So that's for the budget constraint side of things. Then the indifference curve side of things, which is a little bit more abstract, is trying to represent reality in terms of two goods and how your preferences are shaped. So this is kind of abstract in the sense that we don't know necessarily how our preferences are shaped. But we know a few things. So let's just get maybe the one of the extreme cases out of the way and then we'll uh, play around with that. If ever you have two goods that you treat as perfect substitutes, well, in that situation, your indifference curve would actually be a straight line. If we look at, let's say on the X and the Y axis, you have a certain quantity of gasoline coming from SO or Shell and you treat them both equivalently. Well, whether you have 50 from one or 50 from the other or 25, 25 or whatever, 
and it's not you that had to fill up your car it's just we're going to fill it up with a combination of the two but you'll get up to 50 liters in total if you're indifferent between them well then all of those options are on the same indifference curve so the thing that's important to remember when we think of indifference curve is the word indifference indifference is you are indifferent you do not have a preference between two of these consumption bundles so along any indifference curve that you will see in this class you have to be indifferent or else you are not along the same indifference curve so if i tell you or what do you prefer having like uh, 50,000 a year with four weeks off of work or $100,000 a year for with eight weeks off of work and you're doing the same job, same location, same stress, everything. Obviously, you won't be indifferent between the two because one has higher income and more weeks off. So you can't be indifferent between the two. But you might be indifferent between a job that pays you 50,000 four weeks off a year or a job that pays you 60,000 with two weeks off a year. You might be in a situation that even though it's a costly, you, you just can't see yourself only having two weeks off a year. So that's a more feasible situation. Same thing goes, uh, you go to a store or a restaurant and you're offered this meal or this meal. Your, your spouse tells you, what do you want for dinner? Do you want this or do you want this? And you're like, I don't really care, you choose. It's not that you don't like either of the two options, it's that you don't have a preference. Either one will give you the same level of satisfaction. So sometimes you make some purchases and you'll have that feeling that you're kind of like not sure which one you prefer, which bundle you prefer. And sometimes you have a clear choice. When you have a clear choice, you're not indifferent. So to build indifference curve, you have to keep that in mind. All of those combinations that you put along that curve or if you would draw it out in the table, not draw it out, but rather write it out in the table and then try to represent it graphically may make more sense for you. So if you go to a store and I say you can get shirts or pants, like, and at this point here, we're not talking about like prices associated to it. We're not introducing the budget yet. The budget's been covered. We'll combine them together later on, but right now it's not covered. So you have the situation that you can buy pants and shirts. And I say, well, if I were to give you two pairs of pants and two shirts, is there any other combinations that you'd be kind of indifferent? And some of you might say, well, I, I kind of like pants. I need them right now. So if you were to take away one of my pants and only give me one, you'd have to give me three extra shirts. And then if I'd say, well, I, I, I'm not gonna give you any pants after all, well, how many shirts do you need to be compensated for you to feel equally as happy as the other situation? So it's that kind of situation. Sometimes it might be hard for you to kind of visualize the example. So if we think about beers and wings, uh, well, if you're kind of thirsty and and you, you want to have a beer and I tell you, well, how many, if I take away all your beers, how many wings do you need? Well, if you, you're already eating three pounds of wings with a, one beer, like I don't think six pounds of wings will compensate for you not having a beer. So that doesn't make as much sense, but there is definitely examples that 
you can be compensated uh, for losing out on one of the two things. So the big idea here within the fringe curves is any point along the curve that you have, you have to have the same level of satisfaction. And we'll see that there's many in the fringe curves out there, just that each of them have different levels of satisfaction. So if you were to draw them out, you will see that in the fringe curves tend to be kind of downward sloping, bowed towards the origin. And then you could draw one and then you could use the same graph and draw another one that's higher to the right of it does not intersect with it, it cannot. We'll kind of have a quick discussion why it can't. And essentially, if those two goods that you, that you enjoy on the X and Y axis, well, the further up to the right that you go is the first axiom, more is better. You'll have a situation that you're more satisfied. And therefore, you could think about, like if we think these inference curve in terms of emojis, well, the first emoji, you might just be like that emoji with the, uh, the the, the mouth is just a straight line across and then like higher to the right, you have like a very small smile. And then the further away you go to the right, the more you have like big smiles and so on and so forth. You're just happier and happier. <clears throat> Same thing goes with that example of uh, trade-offs between wages and weeks off. Well, if I give you more wages and more weeks off, more wages, more weeks off for the same work, well, obviously you'll be in higher and higher, higher satisfaction levels. So in their uh, satisfaction or the general feeling, it all kind of means the same thing in this story. So the first thing you have to note is further up to the right, the happier you are. The reason why they're bowed towards the origin is one of the other axioms. And that is based on the idea that we like a bit of everything more than just a lot of something. So in that beer and wings example is a, an easy one. If you like to have a beverage and you like to eat, well, naturally, you'll rather have a bit of both than just having one of the two categories, especially if you didn't have food at home, you're away and uh, you haven't eaten in a while. Like you just, you won't just want to drink and so on. And same thing with shirts and pants. Like you just don't want to accumulate a ton of pants and have no shirts unless you're living somewhere where that's acceptable or, or a bunch of shirts and no pants unless you're, you're working from home and you're, your webcam doesn't show the bottom and then it's a different story, but yeah. So you have this situation that you prefer a bit of everything and you don't want a job that pays you a million a year with no weeks off for the rest of your life. Like you still want to enjoy life and you don't want a job that gives you tons of weeks off. Like you're only working a few weeks a year, but you're only making $500 in a year. So you, you can't enjoy those weeks off. So you rather have a combination of the two. That is how, we live and that's how we feel unless, like the example I gave you before with gasoline, unless they're perfect substitutes, then it's a straight line, but otherwise it's bowed towards the earth. And the other extreme scenario would be perfect complements in that situation. If you consume left shoes with right shoes, well, if you only have one right shoe, if we give you two, three, four, five, six left shoes, uh, you won't be more satisfied by that. So you'll have a situation that you'll have the same level of satisfaction or indifference. And then the indifference curve will kind of look like an L or uh, just a vertical line with a horizontal line. So why can't indifference curves intersect with one another? Well, the point is that 
each indifference curve has its own emoji in a certain way. So if you have this indifference curve that intersects with two different curves, it would mean that that, and that intersection point, you'd be like so, so happy and quite happy at the same time, which is not possible. And another way to see it is to treat that intersection point between the two indifference curves as let's say point A, and then you'll find on the lower indifference curve somewhere that has a certain combination of both goods that is inferior to what you could get on the other indifference curve because uh, if you look at the actual videos, you'll figure it out pretty easily, but you'll be able to see that jumping from let's say B to C or whatever the letters that were used there, you'll be able to have more of both goods, which would say that you should be happier by having more of both goods. So this contradicts the idea that you could be equally happy in both situations. So things to remember in this whole segment is if you were asked to draw indifference curves or analyze indifference curves on a multiple choice type question, indifference curves can never intersect. So if you draw a bunch out and some of them are crossing one another, even if the intuition, what you've said, what you've written makes sense, that is a big no-no. Therefore, you will be docked off some points. Also, indifference curves, practice drawing them, have to be downward sloping throughout. So the classic mistake I see is that people have a tendency to draw them kind of like a, as a part of a circle. And what happens there if you draw it, Sometimes on the top section, top left section, there's this little upward sloping segment. Uh, and then at the bottom as well, it's kind of like a slide that slides down and then there's a jump at the end. Well, there can't be that jump at the end because it means that that's upward sloping. It has to be downward sloping throughout because otherwise in that upward sloping segment, you're contradicting the idea that more is better and you're getting more of both. So you can't be at the same level of satisfaction. And then typically we combine budget constraints and then difference curves to finding the optimal consumption bundle. And that is where the indifference curve just barely touches is tangent to the budget constraint. Because if you draw a bunch of indifference curves on a sheet of paper and then you draw a budget constraint across, well, if you choose a consumption bundle, which is on one of the indifference curve that kind of crosses the budget constraint twice, well, that is good. You might have like a so-so satisfaction with it, but we know that there is this consumption bundle that is further to the middle of that. That's a better combination that will yield that you will be now on a indifference curve that is higher to the right, which means that you are happier. So it's just trying to get into the psyche of how people make their decisions. As I said, it can seem abstract. It's a whole idea of trying to evaluate how people make their decisions, how they treat different goods, whether how they substitute between the two different goods, how they react to price changes, how they react to income changes. So a lot of the things that we discuss in this class can be applied in difference curves, but we don't dive that much deeper in this specific class. In further economics classes, a lot of the things that uh, get discussed, the whole idea of like, if you increase the price of coffee, what's the impact on the consumption of tea and that substitution or whatever that may happen, uh, treated as substitute goods or complements. 
and so on, it could all be represented within the fringe curves and budget constraints, depending on the shape of it, and so on. And then something that gets analyzed in intermediate micro, like higher, higher level economics. But at this stage, that's a general understanding that you have to understand. And it's just this idea that um, you have preferences and it's pretty much represents how you behave and how you consume. So the last little part about that is something that I don't normally evaluate, but could be interesting to understand is let's say I think about carbon taxes, which has been a big focus in my studies in the past. Well, if I think about carbon taxes, if you introduce a carbon tax, what you're trying to do is you're trying to make people substitute from dirty goods, which could be like gas powered cars or any energy intensive products that released a lot of carbon emissions in its production to more clean goods and so on. And that's great because as you increase the price of one good, you'll see a substitution effect going to other goods. But in reality, there's also an income effect that happens. Imagine you're that person who has a gas car and lives far from work. Well, if the price of gasoline goes up drastically, you will have a tendency to drive less, yes, but maybe your monthly bill on gasoline is still going up, even if you drive less because the price has gone up a lot. Therefore, you have to start cutting away in different things. So we would expect you to start consuming more of other goods, but in reality, it may be that you won't have enough income to consume more of the other goods. So it's just something that has to be analyzed and considered. So that wraps up the whole idea there. The, the last thing that I tend to cover towards the end of this class is just looking at like carbon policies and international trade and the idea that if one country imposes a carbon tax and another country doesn't, it has a tendency to kind of like look at that too good scenario uh, it could be like steel coming from Canada versus steel coming from China. One becomes more expensive. There's substitution that goes to the other one. It's just a bunch of things that we could analyze with these diagrams. So hopefully budget constraints, how they move, how their construction and, and difference curves, how they're represented and how they're not represented is clear to you. And uh, talk to you soon.